0: This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast.
1: I imagine it is probably a surprise to very few slash nobody that despite efforts by various levels of government over the last number of months to cool the housing market, Hamilton house prices continued in 2007 to... Up There went. 23% average increase in 2017 in this city. That means the average house in Hamilton, Hamilton proper now costs $554,399, over half a million bucks for the average house in Hamilton. So you can imagine what the expensive houses in Hamilton cost. What may be a surprise, though, to people who are now looking at that saying, you know, that means that I am forever priced out of the market. I can never own anything in this city. I can't find anything that I'm ever going to be able to live in. I'm going to have to be stuck in an apartment forever. Not all housing went through the roof, according to these figures that just came out. It's a new survey on housing prices that came out just the other day. Not all types of housing in the city of Hamilton went through the roof. The price of condominiums in Hamilton actually dropped By 2% from 2016 to 2017. In 2016, the average price of a condo was $327,761. In 2017, $321,128. Down about $6,000, which in the grand scheme of things is not that much, but it is still down. Which sends the message, or at least strikes me, that maybe we're just not a condo city? Or is there something else going on? Rob Golfi. you know him as a well-known, very successful real estate agent in the city, but you also probably know him as host of the Hamilton Real Estate Show Saturday mornings here on 900 CHML. He joins me now. Rob, how are you today? Good, thank you. How are you? Doing great, thanks. So if we are not a condo city, why not?
2: Well, we are a condo city. Um, it's just that we're getting back into it because we have a lot of older condos. In Hamilton, and what's happening is, what's available is not. Um, it's it's more kind of aged condos. Like people are looking for something newer, and that millennial generation, when they're looking into it, uh, they're in buildings. Um, they, they they want something more trendy, and and that's and the, and the and the stats that you have are based on the resale market. But uh, but the new condos they are selling, and I, I just heard uh, from uh, from uh, 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 Aaron Kleena and, and Brad Lamb that they just sold out phase one of Television City, hmm. and they're and they were the most expensive per square foot when it came to condos in um, in Hamilton.
1: So what is that? So you, I mean you're you're hinting on the fact that condos, if you make them really high end, luxury, trendy, whatever you want they will still move, and there's still going to be a big demand for them.
2: There, there is a demand. People want new now. So um, if, you, if you have a, a condo and a condo building, uh, a lot of them are tired, and, and they're having special assessments done, and their condo fees are getting expensive in those older condominium buildings, and, uh, and it's, becoming, it's becoming tougher to sell those. But, uh, but, and, and what's happening is because of the new condo market, like the new ones that are coming in, people are waiting for those. They're buying those and waiting for those. So that's what's hurting the resale market with the uh, with the condo market uh, in, in the resale end of
1: it. And there is no shortage. We have a lot of projects going on in the city and a lot more planned for condo product. I mean, if you just with what's there and then you add in what's apparently going to be happening down at the new Pier 8 development when that ever gets going, which is hundreds or maybe a few more thousands of units, there, there's no shortage of places that are going to be on the market.
2: No, there isn't. I'm going to tell you that is going to be a great place to live uh, when they have that pier eight going. And same thing, and 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 like Casablanca and Stony Creek, especially Casablanca uh, in uh, Grimsby. That's going to be a great condo community out there. It's going to be like it's it's going to have its own vibe. It's they're going to have their own little circle of of um, uh, things that are a trendy thing that's going to happen down there. And if anybody t- took a, a drive by there, you, you'll see what's happening down there. It's gonna—it'll be a great place to live. All these little—they're making these little communities really nice for people to to move into these new condo um, buildings.
1: Is there any risk though in this city when we talk about building condos? One thing: Hamilton downtown is not overly dense. There is still a lot. Now you may have to buy a building or buy a piece of property, but there's a lot of opportunity for developers to build upwards still and as this city adds more and more people do we run the risk that we will oversaturate the market and keep the condo prices at where they are or maybe that's not running the risk maybe that's a good thing i don't know but do we do we is there the possibility that we just keep adding and adding and adding and things don't really go up
2: that that could happen and uh it just depends on uh you know who our buyers are like i mean we, we are getting a lot of investors that are buying um, and what happens is when there's a saturated market after a while, once the, once the investors stop buying as many as they do, then, then, yeah, there will be, there will be a problem because they'll be unloading them because a lot of these people are trying to, uh, flip these condos because they know they can put a deposit on a, on a condo today and it's not going to be built for three or four years from now. And, and they're banking on that, that value of that condo by the time it's built, before it's built, it's gone up. Fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. So basically, they only had to put a twenty-five to thirty, forty-five thousand-dollar uh, down payment, and they made a uh, hundred thousand dollars.
0: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML.
1: Continuing our conversation with real estate agent and. Talk show host himself, Rob Golfie, here on 900CHML every Saturday morning. We're chatting about condo prices versus house prices. House prices in Hamilton, we saw in a report that just came out, continued to rise in 2017. House prices up 23% again, but condos flat, maybe even falling a little. And Rob, just before the break, we were chatting about in condos as investments. We know people do this. But a house, if you were to buy a house and fix it up and flip it around, you could probably what? In the span of six months to a year, you could maybe see some significant return on your investment. If you're buying a condo now, you are sitting on this for a lot longer, right in the city?
2: Yes, you are. Um, so if you're buying a, if you're buying a brand new so if you're buying a brand new condo, um, it'll be built in three to five years. now if you buy a resale that's out there, um and it's an older building and it, and it and but it's they're fixing it up and they're updating certain things the value of that condo building the condos in that building are going to go up a little bit but not as much as the new ones because they're coming in with a, a vast new amount of uh, new condominiums coming into hamilton more people are going to be opted going into those buildings than they are into the the older buildings that are already there so so the companies that are managing these condo condominiums that are older, they have to start getting their game up and start, you know, fixing the, these buildings up. But the problem is, there'll be special assessments with the current uh, the current uh, condo owners, and they may have to pay more condo fees to get their building uh, to a trendy level where that their values will increase more. And uh, but the young generation right now, they're they're looking for something that is uh, new all the time. So. Uh, that that that's the battle between the resale and the new that, what about
1: gonna... what about though the redesign i don't even know what you describe it as the redone loft so they they they're new they're shiny they're whatever but they're built to look old they're look you know like in a warehouse or something you know what i'm exactly what i'm talking about yeah, everyone knows loft, what i'm talking yeah, about the loft love idea those. are those, love those yeah and but they're not brand new. i mean they're new but they're redone new they're not brand new buildings
2: no, but they're redone, new, trendy, new. Um, it's like the Stinsons uh, uh, condos that they came up They came, they, you know, it's beautiful. You walk in, it's got some character. Uh, people love that, and uh, they, you know, either you know, they want new but trendy, and uh, and they want style. They want style. They uh, and and that's and that's what's happening right now. We got these Toronto uh, condo uh, developers coming in, and they see there's a demand, and a lot of these a lot of these buyers. They're paying big square footage for these new condos. Um, like, right, like right now on a, on a condo in Hamilton, a resale is approximately both. Well, not a resale, but uh, it's $410 a square foot. Um, in Toronto, they're selling for $557 a square foot. But with the Television City, and they're sold out, they're pushing $600 a square foot. They're getting Toronto prices here in Hamilton. And how would and, that
1: compare to a house? That's expensive. That's expensive? because Because once you... I mean, the people may be thinking too, Rob, is that, look, I can't afford a house, but I can get a condo. But then I'm thinking to myself after that, yeah, houses have maintenance and all these things, so do condos, but you have your condo fees, which you just alluded to. Is it, it, is it a lot cheaper now in Hamilton to buy a condo, or by the time you throw in the monthly fees, is it no, relatively no, it's, it's comparable?
2: More, it's more expensive. It's more expensive. Really? Uh, a Television City... Uh, uh, let's say a 800 square foot condo, which is a pretty big size condo. It's like two bedroom. That's a large condo, more like penthouse. And that it's four hundred eighty thousand dollars. Now the condo fees on that could be, you know, it could be up to four five hundred dollars a month, maybe more. Um, so, like buying a a townhouse, freehold townhouse uh, would be a lot cheaper for them than buying a condo. But but we're coming into a generation that. People want to be downtown. People want to be where the, the, the shopping, the restaurants, the trendy areas, the, the, you know. Um, and so the developers are filling that demand, and, and they're selling them. They're selling them. And, um, yeah, definitely it, it, it's changing. And, and uh, you know, like, can you imagine, uh, like, look at the townhouses, how far they've gone up in price. Right. You know, no, nobody would ever imagine uh, in Hamilton, you know, you'd be buying a townhouse for close to five hundred thousand, and in Ancaster, they're selling them for six fifty to seven hundred and plus.
1: But the funny part about this—we all have a minute or so left here. The funny part about this, and I, not funny, ha ha, funny, more ironic is there was a time, at least in my mind, that the people who would be looking to buy the condos often were the retirees or those who were looking to downsize a bit. They don't want to deal with the house, with the grass. They may travel a bit in the winter and want to have just be able to close the door and go. It doesn't sound like that is who are the main buyers now of these condos in Hamilton.
2: You're absolutely right. That was our that was the demographics before the retiree that just you know they can lock their door and you know go to Florida for uh, three four months and not have to worry. But now it's uh, it's it's millennials and they're buying them, and it's also investors, and uh, you know they're they're buying them to uh, to rent out because people uh, they're you know they're better than the what's for rent out there right now. There's, you know, the, the, the apartment buildings are also, uh, they, they haven't built an apartment building in, in 30, 40 years. And so so all they had was the condos to rent from. So now you get investors buying the new condos. And and you're also getting the, the older generation. They're still buying them. There's, they're, they're, they're looking for that easy life where they can just turn the key. But also um, you got the millennials that are doing it. And they're coming in. And the millennials are over 52% of the uh, wow. the market right now.
1: Love to keep chatting about this, but sadly, out of time, Rob, but we'll always appreciate the time. You can catch Rob on his show Saturday mornings. I uh, really appreciate it, sir. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good night. That is Rob Golfie. Um, man, I, I had no idea that condos in this city were as hot as they are. We don't look like a condo city, but apparently we are.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML.
1: I must tell you that after all this time, The three letters in the English language that I've become more sick of than any other letters out there are L, R, T. You're probably the same. This is the story that won't stop. If the trains are as persistent as this story, it could be a great thing. I don't know if they will be. But it is the story that won't go away. There is a poll right now on The Spectator's website, thespec.com, asking along these lines if the municipal election coming up this year should be the final word on the LRT. Essentially, it would be an unofficial official referendum on the idea. We're going to vote for councillors. They, I guess, whoever wins, will have a vote right off the bat, and boom, we're done with the LRT, or it's through, but one way or another. Right now, 71% are saying yes, make that happen. Make this election the last word on the LRT. 29% are saying no. I don't know who the nearly 30% are who want this story to continue on ad infinitum, but anyway, they're out there. Now, interestingly, Mayor Fred Eisenberger kind of basically threw down the gauntlet in this regard not that long ago when he said You should vote for candidates who are pro-LRT if you want this thing to go through. By the same token, I guess vote for not-LRT-favoring candidates if you don't want it to. But anyway, what should we do? Should this municipal election coming up be an unofficial-slash-official referendum on this topic that won't end? Let me bring in a voice that you are very familiar with if you listen to this station regularly. Um, He is... He's not the mayor of the morning. That title is gone. He's the... That's, um, that,
3: that's Hanover.
1: No, absolutely. He's the admiral of the AM. <laughs> Bill Kelly. We've got to come up with a new name for you. Do you ever Have you ever had a... Hanover got that nickname. You Surely someone's come up with something for you over the years.
3: Uh, well, I don't want to go into the names I've been called <laughs> over the years. Okay, let's not go there, Scott.
1: Bill Kelly of the Bill Kelly show always love having him on uh, gets to do something a little different by not having to run the interview when he's on here but Bill this is a topic that you have probably talked about well since the stadium ended this it's is probably a few times yeah a few times two or three should this be the case should this election finally be the deciding vote one way or another on this topic
3: well, it's going to be, whether they want to or not, and, and you know, when the debate was going on, Scott, we talked about, should there be a referendum, and people said, yes, yeah, they should be No, and the council said, no, it's not going to, it is a de facto referendum on this, because the people that get elected to the next council, which is going to be in the fall of this year, and whoever wins the election uh, will be sworn into office in the first week of December, so you know, that's going to be the new council. They will decide one way or another, are we going to go forward on this? Are we going to try to kill this thing? Whatever. Uh, and, and I'm not so sure. And You and I have talked about this in the past. The, the official position of city council is in favor of LRT, but we both know that, that the support for this is about 15 votes wide and about half an inch thick. And it could change depending on who gets elected in, in you know this upcoming election.
1: How many right now, if assuming that oh first of all, before I say that, explain how the rules change when the new council is voting because the rules do change about this,
3: yeah, yeah, right now, there is a city council position position rather that says they are supportive of l r t okay let's let's deal with that and and during the debate that went on over the summertime this past year in twenty seventeen. There was some consternation about, should we move forward on this? And and city staff said, whoa, 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 you already have a position that says you support this. So to defeat that, you need two-thirds majority on council to defeat that. Well, they didn't have enough votes to do that. So even the councillors that were nervous about this said, okay, let's support this and get the funding, yada, yada, yada. But we're not really in favor of this, but we'll do this. When the new council is elected after this election, which is going to be in, in in the fall of this year, all bets are off. Anything that was done by this council, the over, the new council can overturn with a simple majority. I mean, if, if you know, it, by a 9-6 or 9-7 vote or whatever it's going to be in the next council, if they say, we think LRT stinks, we don't want to stop this, it's over right there. Now, I don't know who's going to get elected and who's going to do this, but that is a possibility. I'm not saying it's a probability, but it could happen.
1: And based on, let's say that every count, and we know that this won't be the case because we have people running against each other, somebody's going to be off this council, but let's say all the councillors as it stood right now got re-elected, including the mayor. How many votes would you say on there, you don't have to give names, but how many votes would you say are absolutely 100% guaranteed after the election to be pro-LRT?
3: Well, let's work on two things here. First of all, Statistics indicate not just in Hamilton but right across the province, 97% of local councillors get reelected unless they really screw up. So, on that premise, uh, let's assume that most of the people on this council get re-elected. Uh, the support, the strong support for LRT right now, is in wards one, two, three, period, and 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 four. I should say four because Sam Rule has been pretty strong about this too. Okay, that's only four of 16 votes, and five counting Mayor Eisen. Of course, okay all right but that's still not the majority of the people on council uh when you look at Chad Collins in ward 5 not really supportive uh, Ch- uh Tom Call- uh, Tom Jackson in ward 6 uh, he voted for the funding but he doesn't really like it Donna Skeller we know in ward 7 is not supportive of this Terry Whitehead probably not uh and then you look at the rural councillors and the only one that's really strongly supportive of this is Lord Ferguson in Ancaster, who's probably going to get reelected but depending on what happens with the other ones all bets are off, because that's. it doesn't matter what the percentages are right now. If, if somebody, whoever wins the next election, says, yeah, let's have a vote on whether or not we should continue with this, uh, I'm not so sure that this is going to continue, and, and that's going to be problematic considering how far along we are in this process.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML.
1: Continuing our conversation with Bill Kelly... <laughs> he is joining us in the evening now, um, host of the Bill Kelly Show, normally in the you morning. You know
3: what's interesting about this, Scott? I, I just mentioned this in passing, and I've talked about this before. Here we are this time of the evening, and it's it's kind of a, a, a transitional day with weather and everything going on in this community. You know, and it's kind of crappy outside. We still have up-to-date weather. We have up-to-date traffic. Uh, we don't have Ryan Seacrest telling us what Katy Perry's song is on <laughs> right now. I mean, we're relevant, and that's kind of cool, isn't it?
1: You know, I could do that. I could do the Ryan Seacrest well, thing I know if you're you a like.
3: You're a Katy Perry fan, and, and you know, you want to talk about Beyonce and stuff like that. But <laughs> but you know, I think people in this community want to know what's going on in this community, and, and you're rocking it, man. Thanks.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Bill. Uh, let us continue with this because we're talking about the LRT. But I digress, no, yeah. no, it's look LRT Katy Perry. It's uh, you know, it's it's one and the same in some way. I'm sure someone could draw I some suppose, sort of link yeah. there. I'm not sure I can. But we're talking about this as an election issue. Should the LRT finally be put to bed after the municipal election? Should the vote and the decisions that people make once and for all decide that this is a done deal or an undone deal? And, you know, I know that back when Bill Clinton was running... Uh, Well, that's a long time ago now. 1990, I think, was the year. it was. 92, yeah. James Carville had the old line, it's the economy, stupid. And it was blunt, but I'm wondering if that's the same thing now, that when we have this election that the people here are going to say it's the LRT, stupid. There's a lot of other stuff you're going to hear, but ultimately the overriding point of this election is the LRT.
3: Well, sure, because, I mean, every municipal election, and, and for those that, that, that know our, my history, I mean, been there, done that. I was on council. I ran in 1997. I won. I, I went three elections. I was on council for a while. Left, uh, you know, I said I was going to run for three terms. Yeah, uh, of course economics matter. Of course they do, and budgets matter. But there are key issues like this. And, and LRT, I think, Scott, is going to be a key issue in this upcoming Municipal election. It's 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 not going to be on a referendum, but the people that you vote for, the candidates, even the mayoral candidates. I mean, I know that the, the mayor Fred's running for re-election. I don't know who's going to run against him. We don't know this yet, but I'm assuming there's going to be an anti-LRT candidate. I don't know who it's going to be at this stage. Who's going to rise up and say, "If you don't like this, if you want to stop this right now, vote for me." Or maybe there's going to be two or three of them, or ten of them. I don't know, but. We know there is a large percentage of this population right now that says, we don't want this. We don't want to do this. Forget about the fact that it's our taxpayers' money. We just don't want this in the city right now. And and I think it's going to be a rallying call. Now, Colorado, I, I'm not sure who's going to come up here, and I don't know if they can coalesce that, that animosity and that, that ambivalence about this sort of thing right now. But I still think it's going to be a big election issue Come you know when, when they go to the polls here later on this year.
1: A couple weeks ago... Things were pretty quiet about the LRT. It sort of went back into hibernation for a while and yeah. it wasn't really being talked about. Was it a an error by Fred Eisenberger to bring this thing up? I think it was at a Chamber of Commerce meeting and say, listen, vote for people who are LRT proponents if you want this thing to go through. I wonder if it was a wise political move to rekindle this thing. Or once it had got to the point where it was, where it was just sort of humming along, do you just leave it alone and hope not a lot of people get fired
3: up again? I don't know what was going on in Fred's mind at the time. I, I can speculate and suggest that, that as, as a guy who is pro LRT, that that Fred was probably thinking, this is going to define my candidacy for re-election, and, and and so I want to hang on to this. And and I can understand that whether it's right or wrong, I can understand his mindset on this, uh, and and saying this is going to be an issue, and and. But I'm going to play the other devil's advocate here for a second. Uh, He did this the same time when he was the mayor the first time, and it was the stadium issue. I was just going to say
1: that. I was just going to say that cost him the mayor's chair. A lot of people believe the stadium issue. Could it happen again?
3: It might. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it depends again on, on just how strong the the anti vote is on this. And uh, the stadium was a little more convoluted because there were other issues at play here. But there were some at this at that time, of course, some issues about who was responsible, who was actually telling the truth about issues. Uh, but we're starting to evolve this, Scott. If you've listened to the debate uh, with LRT, the same issues are coming back again. Are they being truthful about the cost? Who's doing what? Is it really going to work? What are the economic benefits? Yada yada yada. Uh, and the mayor is simply saying, "Listen, trust me. We know we're doing the right thing on this, uh, and he's he's firm in this." And I, I, I look at whether you like Fred or disagree with Fred. I give him credit. He's being staunch about this, and, and that's great. I, I guess the key element here is, well, who's going to rise up and say, he's wrong, here's the alternative view. Uh, you know, even last election, if, if people recall, because LRT was an issue last election, municipally as well, and Fred was there, Brad Clark was there, Brian McCaddy were there. They were the three main mayoral ingredients. Brian McCaddy was staunchly pro-LRT. Brad Clark was, no, 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 let's go to bus-related transit. Fred was saying at that time, well let's let's think about it okay let's find some middle ground let's study this and see what the best issue is uh, and and he won uh, you know kind of playing right down the middle and what defined the issue was not mayor fred's policy but the fact that the premier stepped in and said we're going to do this for you and but that wasn't part of the election campaign that happened after the fact it was really kind of bizarre
1: bill i am over time already so i need a yes or no answer though with municipal elections, nobody votes. Will this be something that will get people out to the polls?
3: I think so. I think so. I think there's an awful lot of people in in the mountain regions and the outlying areas that are pretty adamant about this, and 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 are going to try to rise up. It, the, the 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 undefined area about this right now, Scott, is who's going to run? What candidates course, are going to be there? Yeah. How strong are they going to be to try to make this an argument?
1: Always love having Bill Kelly on in the evenings, making him work 24 hours a day here on 900 CHML. You can catch him tomorrow from 9 till 12. Bill, really appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Always
3: on the clock, Scott. Thanks for the time.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML.
1: If there is a story that is capable of getting you fired up pulling out your hair I'm not capable of that but pulling out your hair angry whatever else it is this story that you've been hearing all day today on CHML elsewhere as well about Hydro One spending up to 15 one, five, 15 million dollars to redesign their bills 15 million dollars to redesign their bills. Actually, $9 million to redesign and $6 million to do something with the redesign after it's redesigned. I mean, I'm looking at this going, how exactly is it possible to spend $9 million redesigning? Everybody now has on their home computer, on their laptop or their desktop, they have some sort of Program that you could draw. You could find somebody who can do this for you, surely, who can actually do some kind of layout. And if it's not a layout thing, if it's not a visual thing, because the idea behind this is people aren't able to understand their bills, surely you can find somebody who could explain what's confusing about the bills. And if you can explain what's confusing about the bills, you could unconfuse the bills. Surely, all you have to do to fix this problem is get 10 or 12 confused Hydro One clients into a room and say, okay, what do you not understand about your bill? Okay, that, good. Yep, that, good. Okay, there, yeah, we can, hey, we can do that. We can fix that. And I'm reasonably sure, I'm no expert on redesigning bills, but I'm reasonably sure if you went through that process, it wouldn't cost you $9 million plus another six to implement it somehow. Honestly, you could dig up all the members of the group of seven and reanimate them for less money than it's going to cost. They could design this thing for you, a group of seven project with Walt Disney supervising. Thaw him out too and bring him back from cryogenically frozen state. You could have all these creative people brought back to life for less money, I think, than it is costing Hydro One to try and redesign a bill. How in the world is it possible that it costs nine million plus another six, fifteen million dollars to redesign bills so that they're understandable? And what really gets you gets me cranky about this is that you just know, you look at this and you say to yourself, if it takes $15 million to do something as basic and as simple and as straightforward and as every person who ever has worked in a layout or design or whatever computer program before could do this. If it takes $15 million for you to do this, you just know that everything else in your business is costing way more than it needs to, doesn't it? If item A is massively overpriced, I assume logic suggests that item B in your store is overpriced, and item C in your store is overpriced, and item D is overpriced. And we other also heard on CHML today, if you were listening to Rick and to Ted earlier, you heard about this store in Westdale that's having to close because of partially because of the minimum wage increase, the owner says. But also, did you catch what one of the other issues was that she brought up as one of the reasons that costs have gone so much through the roof that's causing her store to go under? Hydro rates. Well, if it's costing $15 million to redesign a bill, and we assume correctly that that is way, way, way more than it should – I think we can fairly assume there are vast other parts of the hydro empire that are costing way more than they should that are being passed down to you and me and stores and government and everyone else that we are paying vastly more for. That's why if this was a company that was just not relying, they could do whatever they want, that was relying on your largesse to go and shop there fine charge whatever you want but we don't have that option if you want your house to be heated if you want electricity if you want to be living in a country where you have electricity and your fridge is running and your whatever else is going you need hydro you need electricity we don't have a choice this is embarrassing this is shameful this is ridiculous tell you what ben and i will come and redesign your bill. We'll do it for a million each and save the taxpayers $13 million and everybody will go home happy. And I bet you that every single one of you could do the exact same thing for far below $15 million.
0: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML.
1: Time to bring in our buddy Bubba O'Neill with his special intro music. CHCH, sir, how are you today? As I said, you get, you're getting warmer. <laughs> well, that song is. He, definitely getting close. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Is that a song that is played around the Bubba household most days when you're getting ready for work? You're playing that one?
4: Well, I, I'm going <laughs> to say
1: it's a little old, but there was definitely a day... There was definitely a day that that was on repeat for a uh, while. I will. Uh, all right, we'll keep that one. We'll put a little check mark beside that one. That's uh, that's getting a vote. I uh, want to talk with you about a couple things before I get to Tanya Harding, though, which is really at the top of my list. I want to ask you one thing. Now, have you seen anything yet? And I'm surprised that I haven't. Have you seen anything yet coming out from TSN TV about numbers watching the World Junior Tournament? Because I haven't, and I went back and looked, and by this time, Every single year we have a press release saying 7.1 million, 15 million, whatever it is, people watch the World Juniors. I have seen nothing yet, and I'm wondering if that means anything, considering this tournament, attendance-wise, was a disaster. I'm wondering if we're not hearing anything because maybe TV wasn't good either.
4: Well, you know, that's interesting because I'm generally kind of up in that sort of ratings thing. I I enjoy it. I I think it's an interesting part of our business, you know, whether it be radio, television, or print. And, And you know what? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I'm gonna have to do some research, but you're right. Uh, I haven't heard anything. I have not read anything, and you are correct. TN are generally very, very forward in you know promoting themselves after the, any most of their events. Uh, whether it be on their webpage or with some type of voiceover on television on their sports center program, and you're right, I, I can't, I can't think of anything that's
1: been said. Well, bu- listen, both them and sports and everyone else, for that matter, if you have big numbers for some sort of event on TV, those numbers come out lickety split. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take long to get a press release saying we've just had a new record or this number is out or it's the highest rated show of its time slot, whatever else. And I just I, I was thinking about this today. I have not seen anything. and when I went back and looked in previous years, January 6 was in uh, 2015, January 6 in 2016. Uh, usually by this time we've heard about this.
4: Uh, yeah i again I'm gonna have to really follow this up as I said earlier, just because i you're right that like i said they're very they're very very forward, both sports and t s n are very very forward in, in you know as you said issuing press releases, letting us know on web pages, and you know and, you know, not kind of blow themselves up but deservedly so they're allowed to yeah watch, you're allowed to you know you're definitely allowed to, but you're right I've heard nothing about that and and you're right um interesting enough. We definitely have been all over the situation in terms of attendance at the World Junior Hockey Championship this year. But again, what I didn't know is that tournament still top within the top ten. Um, of all tournaments, well over 200,000 people were there. I think what we notice more so is because most Canadians generally are watching only the Canadian games, especially in the preliminary round. And the fact that Canada did not, they were not, other than the final, and other the, of course, the winner, the uh, game at uh, New Era Field, which I I don't think you can include because that was more of of an event. But that counts. Uh, You know, uh, so it, it does count, but I'm just saying in terms of, Canadian eyes watching in the arena. No, 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 no game was over ten thousand people. No, which is no. amazing to me.
1: And when it, when it's a top ten, again, that outdoor game really helped. But also, let's be honest, there have been tournaments over in Europe where the only people in the arena for most of the games were homeless people and stray dogs. I don't don't even say that. This turn that happened in this tournament. Oh uh, well, I know, but there have been times over there when literally nobody was there. So when it's in the top ten. Um, it's not because the attendance was great. It's just that there are some that are so bad that you can't help but being in the top ten. Speaking they also,
4: of... They are also... I mean, a lot of the people in the, in the organizing committees also blame weather. Um, yeah, but they think, also
1: credited weather for having the outdoor game. You can't blame it and credit it at the same time. I think for the overall tournament, because I
4: think they expected... I, I mean, from what they're saying, they sold a lot of... Um, pre-tournament stuff, and they're already bragging about how many they've sold for for Vancouver. Apparently, they're more than half sold out for uh, these packages of, of, of games
1: that they have. But that's not in the same area where they've had it three of the last four years. I think they'll do exceptionally well. I think it'll be back to being great as far as attendance next year. Let me jump to this, because it came out today. Before I get to Tanya Harding, I am going to get there. Canadian Olympic men's hockey team came out today. Um... A bunch of names that we may have heard before, although some of these guys I haven't seen around for a long time. Some I thought may have passed away already by now. I mean, they're uh, <laughs> these are guys that uh, we're talking about people that, um, well, Maxim Lapierre, former Hamilton Bulldog. I'm looking at this. René Bork, uh, Gilbert Brulé. You know what Gilbert Brulé's main claim to fame is, Baba?
4: Well, oh, the Columbus Blue Jackets with, uh, um, what's his name, um, drafting him. He's going to be the first round draft pick.
1: No, that's not it. Gilbert, well, that was one of them. I'm not going to totally take that away from you. Gilbert Brulé's main claim to fame, and I invite people to go on YouTube. You can watch this. He and his wife were driving along a street oh, you in too. Vancouver. Oh, that's right, Bono. And Bono, lead yeah. singer of U2, and his manager went out for a jog when they were having a concert right. in Vancouver. And it began to pour rain, and they got too far from their hotel. And so they hitchhiked. And Gilbert Brule and his wife or his girlfriend—I don't know which one—are driving along, and she suddenly right. yells to him, "That's Bono!" <laughs> and he says, "That's not Bono. Are you—you know—are you crazy?" Yeah. And she goes, "No, it's Bono!" And they stop to pick up this hitchhiker, and it was Bono.
4: Yeah, that's one of the incredible stories that uh, I actually forgot about. But it's only until you, you, you brought it up, <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, that's." That was an incredible story. I think he was a member of the Edmonton Oilers. At I believe that time. so. Yep.
1: But uh, yes, you can you can go on YouTube and you can see Bono tell the story far better than I. He told it in a concert, I think, in Edmonton. If I'm in correct. Edmonton,
4: because it was too, it was a night later, and uh, he had Gilbert up on stage, and uh, <laughs> you know, gave him, I think he gave him his sunglasses, and oh, of course, I'm sure he got the royal treatment as well too. But you're right. What an incredible moment that must have been for. For all three of them, quite honestly, <laughs> I mean, because Bono got out of the out of the rain, yeah. of all, yeah.
1: and you got and, to meet Gilbert Brule, you know, and future like, Olympian Gilbert Brule. Yeah, and I mean, and here's a
4: guy that too. I mean, that uh, Bono did say he goes, I was kind of honored because here I am in Edmonton, a place that's you know very well known for its hockey, and one of their hockey players picks me up. So uh, a winning a winning situation for all. <laughs>
1: Uh, this this look Canada's men's hockey team, the one that was introduced today, may win a gold medal, may not win a gold medal. I don't know, but are, uh, do you are you filled with a sense of excitement about this team?
4: I am I am more excited for this tournament than I have ever been for any of them, maybe except for the first couple. Um, I, this is the first time since I guess '94 in Norway that there will be no NHL participation. Uh, I'll be honest with you, for me, the whole concept was getting old. Uh, With uh, Sidney Crosby, with uh, Connor McDavid, I'm telling you right now, you know who was going to win the tournament. To me, the intrigue in this is unbelievable. There's no favorite. Uh, I think this is so neat to... Cheer for a rag! As I said just moments ago on television, this ragtag bunch of Canadians with the average age of 31 years old, and as you said, some names we know some incredible stories i think we're going to find out about some of these players that love hockey (laughs) and even more so they love playing for their country right now and i think that you know what there's probably going to be a lot of people that are are right now going who's that or who's that why would i watch this? why would i wake up at two in the morning to watch these games or four in the morning or six in the morning or whatever but i believe that this team is going to gain steam as the Olympics go on. I really believe that.
1: I love your optimism. I really do. Uh, I'm I'm especially intrigued by Marc Andre Gragnani from Lil Bizard, Quebec. Uh, <laughs> that's what it's called. Lil I think it's Lyle, but anyway, it's L'Island, Island, but Lil Bizard. Um, you know what? I This team to me reminds me if you ever saw the baseball movie Major League. Yes. A bunch of guys that you've brought together and someone said these guys are way past their prime and the manager goes, Most of these guys never had a prime. This is this is kind of you know I I'm I'm not sharing your excitement, I gotta be honest. I'm not waking up early in the morning to watch these guys, at least not yet. It's not my inclination, but maybe You know, maybe this thing becomes something special, or maybe this thing completely just crashes and burns. I don't know.
4: I I really believe it's going to be the other way. And like I said, there's the there's more intrigue for me. That, like I said, we don't know who's going to win this tournament. There is no true favorite, and I think we're going to learn something about. And and I think we kind of get back in some ways here. For and I think and I know there will be a lot of people that agree with me with this. I think we almost kind of get back to the old Olympic values here with this.
1: I would then, if that's what we're going to do, I would like to have canceled the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament and had the top team of peewees from every country play in the Olympics.
4: <laughs> well, you can go to Quebec and watch that <laughs> tournament. That's a great tournament, too.
1: All right. I mean, let's, let's move on because I only have a few minutes left, and I do want to get to this. Um, there's a new movie out. Called called uh, I, Tonya. It's a new uh, movie. It's a not a documentary, but it's a movie based on the life of Tonya Harding. Everyone knows Figure Skater, who was involved with the Nancy Kerrigan thing. And it's about her life really prior to the Olympics and basically the crappy life that she had leading up to this and explain some of her background. So in all of the preamble and lead up to this movie coming out, she does an interview with the New York Times. And it was a great story. You can find it online. Yeah, I read it. And the headline is Tanya Harding would like her apology now, and I'm thinking to myself, Bubba, whether or not Tanya Harding had a crappy life growing up, do we owe her an apology?
4: You know, and, and I I went back and forth on this. I mean, I think in some ways, again, and we see this with all sports. We've seen this. I mean, there's a number of examples. I, I, I do believe that people went too far, like people leaving dog Dew in her in her mailbox. I mean, at some point, I mean, and she, this wasn't her that did what you know the deed was to Nancy Kerrigan.
1: I mean, yeah, that, that's, that part right. remains really unclear, because what we know and what came out in court, she now says, was not really the case, but that's the official record. I don't really, at this point, know what she did or didn't do, for sure, but I'm going by the court record, rather than her, 20 years later, denying everything.
4: Yeah, you know, I, but I just know she didn't do it. I mean, it was Jeff definitely Galooly and his dude, and his buddy, that, that, that actually did the physical... Abuse, if you right. Want to say, She's saying care. she
1: didn't even know it was going to happen. And
4: and and again, these are things we'll never know, right? It, it, this is one of those he said, she said, you know, kind of thing. And and but I, I will say this, and this is where I thought I think it's very been very tough for her, and where I think in some ways it isn't fair. And I know life isn't fair a lot of times, but she even even <laughs> even Tanya Harding is allowed to have a life after mm-hmm. of all of this, and for many reasons of because of what happened. She didn't ha- get to have live a normal life, and in some of it, as we're going to find out in this movie, and I'm actually very much looking forward to this, and it's a re- it's winning awards and that kind of thing too, because apparently the story is so it, it's so well done. Is that she was persecuted by the American public, and you know, and a lot of times when these things happen, you know, you're persecuted for a while, and then people forget. But it went on for years and years and years, to the point that she couldn't even get a job. And I don't think that's fair.
1: Well, you know who I compare her to in a lot of ways? It's a different scenario, but I compare her in a lot of ways to Monica Lewinsky. There are there are similarities, but you know, there are times when you get involved in a story, whether you intend to or not, whether you think the story is when you get involved in a story that blows up and is as big as these things, I don't know that you can expect that it's going to immediately diminish and and here's the other thing and, and this is where I have uh, uh, this is where I struggle with this story with this idea that Tonya Harding is now with this movie coming out now kind of playing the role of a victim I don't I, I really struggle with the idea if you have suffered abuse or if you've been the uh, had a parent who was not particularly loving which it sounds like Tonya Harding's mom wasn't if you have gone through some of that, does that let you off the hook if you then pass that on to someone else and no. that's really that's difficult to wrap your head around
4: no but it does set the stage for maybe some behavioral issues that that might not quote seem normal and i use the word normal very loosely here right or maybe acceptable to the public right um again it, it was the it was the perfect storm and the ugly storm in so many ways because you had Nancy Kerrigan, which was I'm going to say this, and and hopefully you understand what I'm trying to say, and hopefully our listeners understand. She was one kind of white girl, and then. Tanya Harding was another type of white girl.
1: Oh, we heard how many times, and this right. is not a phrase we're coming up with, how many times did we hear Tanya Harding referred to as trailer trash? Right. A million times. Exactly. And, and is that fair? I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I get what what happened, but, I
4: mean, is that fair? I mean, she competed. She did things that had never been done. She was very good. But people take sides. And even before the incident, people took sides. And she was, as you said, the trailer trash kind of girl who had incredible ability. And then here was the nice girl from Massachusetts with the beautiful blue eyes and blah, blah, blah. So people took sides even before the actual incident happened. Here's another thing that bothers me, Scott. Here's a girl that, as I said, did things on the ice that had never been done before at the time. She was a U.S. national champion. And the fact that that organization holds her back from even being a teacher. Many years later, I think she's 47 years old now, 47, and the fact that she can't pass down whatever ability she has, and apparently she's kept herself in great shape and can still skate very well, as we used to find out in that article, and that she can't provide some teaching to some young kids or whatever about what she knows best in her life, to me, again, just isn't fair.
1: Yeah, I, I get very uncomfortable when we have revisionist history and I and I as much as this movie and I'm going to go see it. I think it's going to be every as you say every is winning awards and it's being talked about for awards and it's been very highly regarded. I will go see it for sure. I get very nervous when we start doing revisionist history on these things because it's very there's a part of us as humans that wants to forgive and wants to give someone a second chance most of the time. But also You know, 20 years later, 25 years later, people, many people seeing this movie won't have been alive or adult or old enough to remember it. And, you know, the story was the story. There were parts of it that maybe were very harsh, but there were other parts that were legit. I mean, there were parts, I believe still, based on the court records, that she knew more than just. Something might, maybe at some point, perhaps, possibly happen to Nancy Kerrigan. She knew more than that, and if she knew more than that, you can't let her off the hook completely and just say, "Well, she deserves a completely clean slate."
4: Okay, okay, I'll I'll I'll, I'll take your card and I'll run with it here. And you're right. If she, I will I will take it to the to again our un, our unknown truth or or beliefs or opinions here, and the fact that we'll make up a a, a story here, and the fact that, yep she totally knew. You know what, Scott? Even if she did, time, time, time should heal a lot of wounds. No one got killed. No one got murdered. No one was told. I mean, that was years ago. This is, I mean, I, I could extend this in some ways to even Johnny Manziel. I mean, she was a young girl at that time. As I said, she's 47 years old now. At some point, we all got to let go.
1: I had, first of all... Uh, for future reference, this is now a Johnny Manziel free zone. We're in the Zen zone with Johnny. Until until he makes news, oh, okay, that's okay. <laughs> I uh, I, that. I'm just joking with you. Um, the, but the other thing is, look, I, I agree with you. I don't believe that at this point in 2018 that we should see Tanya Harding. If we saw her walking along the street, that we should tr- cross to the other side, or we should walk by and spit at the ground at her feet. That we're we're those days. What she did is in the past. All I'm saying is. Coming out with a movie or making a new version of events that rewrites what actually happened, I don't know is right either. I think that we should be forgiving. She should be able to have a life. We shouldn't be putting poo in her mailbox if that's what was happening, and that's what you read as well as I did in the story. But at the same time, I don't think we should change the history of what happened. We learn from that history, we acknowledge the history, and we say, okay, but now let's carry on because we've got other things going on in the world besides this.
4: Well, I mean, I guess in, in some ways, the one thing we can't say is that you know what I, I, I'm like. I'm going to say someone like your son and your daughter—they um, weren't there for this. They don't under, they didn't. This is this is totally new for them. And maybe a whole new generation of people, and maybe even people of our ilk, will have a second look at this and maybe even have a second opinion. And again, you're right. This is part of history. That actually happened. But now we can look back at it. And, and you know, she didn't produce this movie. Someone approached her with yep. the movie idea. Yep.
1: And, and, I will, and, and I will say this. we got to go. I, I will say this. If it came to a choice right now, of which one of the two, Nancy Kerrigan or Tonya Harding, I would want to sit down and have dinner with and have a conversation with, Not I can tell close. I can tell you which one it would be, <laughs> and it close. wouldn't be Nancy Kerrigan. Not even close. <laughs> the the interesting why
4: why yeah, me?
1: Yeah, she would find a hair in her soup. Why <laughs> why? Um, I'm sorry, Nancy Kerrigan, wonderful skater. But that will forever haunt her. I think if she could go back even with a busted knee, she would probably say, Oh, bite your lip. Don't have that noise. Anyway. What we what we need, Scott, is an Oprah special with the two of them oh, together. That's exactly what we need, Bubba. Yeah. Thanks for suggesting that. Our future president with a special now on Tanya and Nancy, the return.
4: Well, she brought he brought she brought together Tyson and Hollyfield. <laughs>
1: Oh, dare to dream, man. Have a skate-off between the two of them. Now as a, as 50-year-olds, have a skate-off. <laughs> oh, man, you and your ideas. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH, you can hear him tonight at 11 o'clock. Always appreciate it, sir. Thanks for doing this. Uh,
4: great
0: chat, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.